0: hi if i could take a moment of your time before we start if you've enjoyed previous episodes or if you enjoy this episode if you could subscribe on the platform that you listen to that would be really helpful it helps us get more guests and push the podcast forward thanks Hi everyone, welcome to the Car Chat Podcast, and today I'm here with Sam Bailey. Hello. Morning. Good morning. Uh, can you tell the listeners a little bit about sort of, well, one, where we are and who you are and what you do, just as a short sort of little summary?
2: Yeah, sure. So we're, we're here at the SL shop, which um, we're a classic uh, Mercedes specialist um, focused on SLs, as the name would suggest. Mm-hmm. Uh, We're here just outside of Stratford-upon-Avon, where we've been based for the past six years, the second location that we've had, and we are a team of 52 people, um, and we uh, buy and sell, service and restore, and sell parts for predominantly classic SLs, um, Pagoda SL, 107 SL, and 129 SL. So from the 60s through to the late 90s, that's our sweet spot.
0: Right. Okay. We'll definitely break down what what those are, because I... I know what an SL is as a as a broad thing, but I've not gone to the level of model codes. I think I'm, I'm slowly starting to pick it up. But I'll be of, of, you of, like of, it. exactly, we will point at something and go, "What is that? what's yeah. exact spec change? Has it got the right lights and all that sort of stuff?" But yeah. so, where did this journey begin? Have you been involved in cars for a long time? Tell me, tell me about it. So it was a hobby turned into a
2: business so um, I'm old enough to be uh, remember when Auto Trader was a printed publication that came out on a Friday and when I was at school of course in the 80s um, I'd be at the back of the class with the Auto Trader and and there was always a classic section it was only a couple of pages of the whole magazine but I was always into cars my father was a mechanic by trade did his apprenticeship with Mercedes so we were I was around Mercedes Benz a lot back in back in in the era yeah um, I, I sort of left school, went into retail, went into sales, worked in insurance, but cars were always a hobby. I was always kind of buying and selling cars. And, and the real trigger came um, when companies stopped um, providing company cars and provided cash instead. Because okay. in the sort of 90s and early yeah. 90s, everybody of a certain certain kind of job had a company car, and then they decided to give cash instead. And the company I worked for, there was no restriction on the kind of car you had. So at the time, I was driving an SL as my company car yeah. which is funded by me and turning up to client meetings with an SL and of course <laughs> you end up having a com- more conversation about the car than you do about business but that's, yeah. that's, that's, that's
0: cars isn't it was that seen as like a, a positive thing or a negative thing? for sure
2: mostly positive yeah. there were some people that obviously didn't get it and, and whatever else and my bosses at the time realized that I was you know driving a 20 year old car and I should have been driving a two-year-old car or something like that but <laughs> <laughs> so um so that that kind of triggered it Um, and then two kind of things happened I I reached the top of where I wanted to be in in the sort of corporate ladder and had enough of the nonsense that 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 brings Mm -hmm. Um, and my father at the time was ready to sort of early retire from the role he was in Um, so... One or two cars around me turned into six or eight cars around me, and then my father was sort of tinkering around, helping me get them running and selling them the way that we needed to sell them. Yeah. We used eBay back in the day. We were certainly not the value of cars that we have now, but you know we loved it, and it was it a was great, great thing to do. So a hobby then turned into my day job, and I, I quit that day job with the, with the large corporate. I was working for Prudential at the time down in London. Saved me commuting down on the train from Worcestershire. And, um, yeah, set up in a, in a, in a small unit based on a farm about 10 miles down the road and that was 15 years ago now. From there um, I realised that there was a, a potential niche opportunity with the 107SL that's the sort of Bobby Ewing shape square yeah. uh, car from 71 to 89 um, the, the SL known as a 107SL and realised there was a, a, a potential opportunity for, to be a specialist in those so started to build knowledge and experience around those Um, One of my first employees was Bruce Greetham, and he was the club, Mercedes-Benz club official for the local area, so managed to persuade him to come and work for us. He's now a director of the business. And we took on a couple of really good local mechanics. uh, so at that time we were just buying and selling cars and doing a bit of prep for our showroom at the time, which yeah. was a, a farm shed. Um, and then we started to do a little bit of servicing and then that turned into restoration. And because Bruce's background had been a concourse winner and a concourse judge himself, he'd mm-hmm. got a real life of detail. So we found that the club members and the commuters, the Mercedes community, were bringing their cars to us to, right. to be serviced and eventually restored. So we kind of grew from two to five to ten employees um, and then, of course, we needed a full-time parts guy who was finding these difficult-to-find parts for us for the workshop. And then we began to sell parts on the Internet. So there's quite a few uh, remanufactures of parts. You can buy, you know, original spec and equipment service parts, yeah. Bosch distributor caps, for example, and those kind of things. So we went from servicing our own workshop to servicing retail customers and started with a small web shop here we are second location 15 years later with 52 employees and 10 million turnover so <laughs>
0: it's grown yeah. quite substantially yeah. Has that you said uh, that the you got you got involved with the you know, mercedes club and that was, has been a, has that been a sort of key part definitely over the early years of cementing yourselves as you know the place or a good place being involved with the clubs, has yeah, that helpful?
2: it's a double-edged sword. In the early days, it definitely was because it, it plugged us into you know some clients early on, and Bruce had got credibility with the club. Um, but I guess the advent of <laughs> the advent of the internet, but as the internet has, has grown and allowed companies like mine to market their products and services and provide images and video and, and yeah. that kind of thing, we we were less reliant on the sort of club as a as a source of of custom than we are now. And of course, there are aspects of the club that don't always fit with a commercial business and certain um, people within the club don't necessarily want the club to be too associated with a commercial entity like ourselves. So whilst we've both got the same objective, we want people to enjoy these cars, we want people to, you know, to take them on trips and to use them as much as possible. And that's exactly what the club want as well they're careful that we're yeah. not too uh, in their pocket or they're in our pocket or whatever it might be. So um, it, was, it was worthwhile in the early days, but actually, as time's gone on, we've probably distanced ourselves a little bit from yeah. the club. I found
0: that, that whether it's various you know, sort of forums or whatever, mm. as someone that creates content, and I imagine it's the same if you've got a business, prior to the business and prior to me making videos, I was massively passionate and was on forums and stuff it's slightly less so now but like and then when i started doing something outside of that i wanted to talk about it ask people about it you know bring things up and then immediately the administrators come in and like yeah. you can't sell your stuff and I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. what like people legit start these threads it's a legit thread yeah yes I happen to have some stuff in the background but like people don't have to read it and then you end up with this weird like no this is my space not your space dynamic and the club's still you know trying
2: to work out what it is now you know what the club was in the 70s 80s and 90s is not what I think people want from an owner's club now so they've got their own um, job to do there on on defining what the club is for their club Mm. members yeah, interesting you say about the forums. I don't go on them anymore at all because it's normally people that are misinformed. It's normally, you know, some keyboard warrior that's probably sat in his underpants somewhere in, in his spare bedroom of his mum's house, yeah. you know, making comments about my business. They've never been here. They've never seen yeah. us. So I, I, I don't tend to go on the forums. Or we've got a few competitors, of course, who we've, we've maybe uh, reduced the amount of business that they've got yeah. nowadays. So they're a bit grumpy with us. But They've got a bit of an
0: axe to go And also, yeah. I guess, a lot of the reason most people go... Well, I don't know particularly why most people go on forums, but as in, like, they're looking for a bit of information. If you have a network or a team of experts in your field, then you just contact them directly and you get... You know exactly who the person is. It's verified. Yeah, Yeah, I remember, particularly, I had an M2 and I was doing track days and I just wanted to... I was like, the forum is the perfect place to ask this. Now I realised it's not um was like i just want to change my i want to do something to the brakes has anyone done anything to their brakes and then i just got like five people telling me to learn to drive um (laughs) like they drive their car at x location i I, i'd been to a bedford track day yeah
3: yeah.
0: and brakes lasted like a lap and so yeah i got told to go back to school um I was driving the car wrong. If you drive around the Nürburgring, it's not an issue. <laughs> and like all this sort of stuff. And I was like, everyone's an expert. Yeah, I was like, and then someone was like, oh, I just had a look. This guy does like a shit ton of track days, does some racing. Yeah. Like it's possibly not yeah. learn to drive. Might be, I'm sure we can all drive to drive better. And then, yeah, I I just thought it was quite funny that that's like the stereotypical stuff that you think happens, happens. And now you've got
2: WhatsApp groups as well. So you've got another layer again. I recently bought an E39 M5, which is Mm. a car that I've always loved ever since they were new. So um, finally managed to get one just before the prices go, stratospheric, and joined this WhatsApp group. So joined the four members, ended up in this WhatsApp group. Oh my word, the nonsense that was just, (laughs) and I actually just deleted myself. After 24 hours, I just deleted myself myself from it because i just thought i just want to know what suspension to get somebody tell me what shocks to put on it
0: you're not you're not dedicated just mercedes i'm only repping mercedes then
2: well don't tell anyone (laughs) 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 but i do love my bmws i love old bmws yeah actually i mean for me the sweet spot of cars are the 90s um you know that is when i think we've got vehicles that you know aren't too controlled by um electronics and diagnostic stuff, yeah. um, they're, not, they're not nannying you too much. And yet, you know, you've got real feel, you've got real analogue driving feel. And I think after that, I start to lose interest. So some of, the, some of the best
0: cars I've owned have been cars from that era. And do you think that relates to your age and a time in life when they came out?
2: Yes, I think, I think, well, I think there's an element of that. I think there's that. I think just the general quality of the cars, I think, mm. were right about that time And for me, you know, I'm a keen driver like you. I've done a little bit of racing, so um, I appreciate a car that I can feel that's not telling me that I've gone over a white line or (laughs) trying to brake for me or telling me I'm too close to the car in front and all that sort of stuff. So um, that stuff gets right up my nose. So those cars in the '90s and you got proper noise and
0: yeah, 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 absolutely. And with Mercedes, I've, I've like, I've heard this from somewhere that people talk about. There was an era. When the cars were i don 't think necessarily built better yeah. this is isn't necessarily the right way to describe it, but built to last a lot longer yeah. is that is that for sure yeah, and it's that it 's the, the time
2: when they connected with Chrysler, um, and for whatever reason their, the purpose of mercedes benz was always engineering first, mm. and then you know for whatever reason the the accountants probably came to town and, and, and got more involved tied tie yeah. up with Chrysler and the need for profit over over quality. And you can actually see it you know, in the cars that we specialise in, the 129. So they were made from eighty nine to 2002. Right. You can tell, you can see the quality dip. You can see the early cars in the late 80s are absolutely of amazing quality, the leather is is beautiful, the panels are amazing, yeah. and then you can see those cars to the end of the production, the leather's completely different, the interior trim is completely different, the, right. the quality of the metals are different, um, and there's some, I mean, when you, when you look at what Mercedes went through at that era, the E-Class, for example, I think yeah. it's the 210 E-Class, they just rusted in front of your eyes, and I right. think Mercedes were changing roofs and doors and you know, amazing panels under warranty, and I think any company that didn't have the financial depth that they've got probably would have gone bust.
0: This is interesting. Uh, that's probably a good point to sort of run through the different the different models. Yep. So, uh, can we just do a quick like? Well, doesn't have to be quick, but <laughs> run through the SLs from sort of beginning to now, or yeah. well, now-ish, or you know.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so SL stands for Sports Light or Sports leaked which was the you know, Mercedes idea at creating a, a, you know, a sports car at the time, a two-door or yeah. um, a Roadster convertible, call it what you will. So, you know, it was born really with the, the, the sort of 300 SL and then, you, of course, you ended up with the Goldwing and the Roadster version of that. Yeah. Following that, it went to a 190 SL. That's a four-cylinder car, and then in '63, that's when the, the shape known as the Pagoda or the W113. That's right. that's where our specialism starts. Okay. So you've got you know those those couple of models in the '50s that were really the birth of what the SL is. Yeah. But really, from a mass production side of things, it was 190 SL, and then in particular Pagoda SL, and they realised that the American market was going to help them shift some metal. Mm. Um, you know, there was a lot of uh, importance placed on what the Americans felt was going to be a car for their market. So um, the Pagoda SL um, ran from 63 to 71 uh, in three engine variants. It started with a 230 six-cylinder, went to a 250 six-cylinder, and then ended with a 280 six-cylinder. Most of them were autos, a few manuals in the early days. Um, So that, that model then finished in 71, and that's when the 107 came out. And that really was... Uh, A car, you know, probably focused on the American market as much as the European and the rest of the world. Um, I think it was the longest running um, body shape for Mm -hmm. Mercedes-Benz, other than the G-Wagon, of course, which is still around now in in whatever (laughs) form. But 18-year production of the 107SL. That's mental. Yeah. Eight or nine different engine variants, a couple of six cylinders, V8s. yeah, left and right and drive, almost all automatic. Very few manuals, I think, in, in all the years, in all the 15 years and the many hundreds that we've had passed through here. You know, you, you can probably count manuals on, on, on your hands. Sort of and thing. are they sort of quite sought after now? Or no, they don't seem to be at all. Whenever we get one in and we put one in the showroom, we think it, it, it could be interesting because it's fairly unique, but it doesn't seem to get any attention. And in fact, they take quite a while to sell. Um, Mercedes weren't brilliant at making manual gearboxes, you know, it's a long yeah. throw. It's like stirring rice pudding yeah. in some of them, I think. <laughs> um, so, so they're not the sweetest manual gearboxes to use anyway. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so that was the 107, which finished in 89, and interestingly, in 89. Um, you know they were still in really high demand you were still on a waiting list you still had to know somebody in a Mercedes garage to get one of those even right at the end of production
0: was that did it go almost the opposite when it came out was it a super popular car
2: yes very much so So just
0: bump all the way through yeah yeah yeah
2: and bear in mind you know when Pagodas came out you could buy two E-types for the price of a new Pagoda wow so it gives you an example of how you know expensive and well engineered these cars were um so yeah, so then the one two nine came out, which is a completely different leap again in terms of how it drives, electronics that were used, um, and you can see that that must have been an absolute revelation when that when that came out in '89. Ferociously expensive, I think they were like 80, 80, 80 or thousand pounds yeah. at, at launch. When you know you, you could buy a nice detached five bedroom house in the suburbs <laughs> for that at that time. So you know they were for the wealthy. They were often used as sort of directors or directors' wives' cars. Um, And then, of course, with the 129, you're getting a few more creature comforts now, so you're getting a power hood, power seats, those kind of things, Um, whereas that wasn't an option on on 107.
0: And at the time, presumably, that tech wasn't massively available on other cars? No, no, no. So all those things that Mercedes is
2: synonymous for, airbags and those kind of things, they were coming through in in the SL as well, they got that... um, Automatic roll bar. So there are some sensors underneath each of the rear wheels. Yeah. When as soon as it detects the car's going to roll over, it pops the roll bar up. That was that if, was a feature.
0: If that pops up, is that game over for the car? No, like? not at all.
2: No, you can reset it and, and pop it back down. So, yeah. Does it get? to It makes more... you jump.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Change of underwear when it pops up. I can tell you that. You've not got your arm behind yeah, your head. Yeah, exactly, it's just like yeah. scratching it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This, I guess. And going back a little bit to the with the manual gearbox, I guess is that more? Do you think? One, whether it was necessarily a good gearbox or not, but the sort of style of car. For me, an SL is like cruising South France, wherever, somewhere warm with some luggage, kids maybe, or as I've seen in Monaco many times, like lots of women, Um, like that's the vibe correct yeah and that still is now and I guess it was then and it still is
2: now which is probably why they're, they're not very popular there's a few drivers out there that you know that are interested and we ourselves do a six speed conversion but that's a, a different gearbox completely a different Borg Warner unit with a much nicer throw and okay. um, at the same time we are often you know changing the diff settings to make sure that the, the final drive ratio is quite nice for cruising as well as if you want to drive them more enthusiastically we're doing that but that's a whole different
0: yeah well, let's definitely get into that so and then so what is it? R one oh seven. R one two nine. Yep. And then we went to two thirty, R two thirty. So that was the ones with the folding roof, the
2: sort of twin lamp at the front yeah. era, so two thousand and two onwards. Um and that 's when you 'll well for me anyway be familiar with like the fifty five a m g so that, was yeah. that that first shape that came out fantastic car um, you know very well made, um, very nice to own, very nice to drive a few gremlins with those, so rear boot seals didn 't fit properly even when they were new and allow water to get into the okay. rear boot and Bugger up various components such as the roof <laughs> module and and the pump, and that's quite an expensive thing to fix. And yeah, so so it went from that, and then a facelift, I think the 231 or 232, where they sort of got a bit more chiselled, and then you're getting into that AMG era then, where yeah. they started. You know, putting all the different engines in, eventually with the the 4.4 engine and that sort of stuff. Yeah, v twelves. Yeah, V12s and V8 twin turbo V8s and stuff like that. You know, huge horsepower. Not not the um, not the most uh, nimble on their toes, but enormous
0: horsepower and those that sort of type of car. Like my sort of reference might be you know modern AMG and and you've got similar car to myself. You've got an E63 and. for a while, I didn't. I just didn't understand kind of why those cars exist. Like, why can you buy from Mercedes, uh, whatever it is, but with a V twelve or something in it? Like, that makes no sense, was it? But then you go to Europe, you go to Germany, and you can you start to go. Ah, oh, no, I know. I see why companies like AMG came yeah. out and start putting massive power. Because yeah. you can go as fast as you like. Yeah. Yeah. And you're sass on the autobahn at whatever speed, thinking you're going fast. Yeah. Somebody comes past you with one hand on
2: the wheel, sipping a cup of cappuccino yeah. or something like that. And you think, okay, well, right, okay, here we
0: are. Yeah, definitely one of the weirdest experiences, I think, in a car is going past a police car on an autobahn yeah. when you're doing, whatever, 150 or something. Yeah. And it's like, how, yeah, yeah. how is this allowed? Yeah. But you've got to keep on your toes, haven't you?
2: Because there are certain sections where you can't do that and certain yes. sections where you can So you've got to keep on your toes.
0: Yeah, you do. Well, so with the varying levels of electronics coming in in the SLS, is there a certain sort of time where it becomes a pain because they're getting older now? Or actually, are they reasonably okay even all the way up to the 2000s?
2: yeah that, that's a good question and it's not just electronics actually it's some of the mechanical components as well so what we're what we're finding is with sticking with the electronics there are a lot of control modules that control various aspects of of, of the say, a 129 the roof yeah. for example um, um, we can have those refurbished now so there's some clever clever very geeky people that, that take them to pieces and fix all the anodes and yeah. whatever else it is that they do and Yeah, so we can get those repaired. There are certain aspects of the diagnostic system that you need a specialist tool to get to the bottom of to diagnose. And there are some ferociously complicated um, components of the 600, that's the V12 129, that that do take quite some looking into. Um, There are some basic things that Mercedes are renowned for from that era as well. So they used biodegradable sheathing on the wiring limbs and what's happened now is, of course, that's, that's, that's degrading, and the sheathing is exposing the wires, and you're getting short circuits. So yeah. you're actually getting cars that run rough, run lumpy, misfire, whatever else. Or you just simply go to change the plugs, you take the coil packs out, you disturb... that that wiring loom that's not been disturbed for a long time and then all of a sudden you now need a wiring loom. so you do have you know this kind of knock on effect let's remember that these cars were complex and expensive when new and they're expensive to maintain now but we've got Similar but different issues all the way down the line. So, for example, take the Pagoda with its fuel injection pump, mechanical fuel injection pump. There are not many people left that know how to rebuild those to to get them working optimally. And uh, for us here in our shop, you know, we've got a handful of our workforce that are trained and know how to set them up once they're back. So it's not just electronics. There are some mechanical components as well. Uh, We've had a problem this morning with brake boosters, you know, servo. And we are really struggling to find a company that's going to rebuild these brake boosters for us because the parts are just getting difficult to find. Somebody has got to put their hand in their pocket and have some tooling made for the the rubber diaphragm, for example. Somebody's got to do that. And the other components, there's some sort of baker light type components in the brake master cylinder that you can't buy from anywhere anymore. So we're going to have to have those made.
0: And then it's like, do you do it? Are people, I guess, with the... Right, the older stuff that's becoming more valuable. Are people quite militant about wanting it to be OEM? Yes, very much so.
2: And we support that, and I don't blame them for that. But interestingly... um, you know, if you can't get it, you can't get it. Yes, there's a certain amount yeah. of new old stock of parts available, and that's great if you can find that. But if not, and Mercedes-Benz don't supply. Even if they do supply, interestingly, we looked at boot locks. Oh. So take a Pagoda a Pagoda boot catch. Yeah. We've got three versions on our shelf, all Mercedes-Benz, Mercedes-Benz box. One was from the 60s, one was from the 90s, and one is one you can buy now. The same part number, the same exact component. They all look and feel and weigh a different amount. They no way. Yep same component I can show you in a minute so that's interesting so and yet there are some reproducers out there that are doing a fantastic job of reproducing some of the components that Mercedes-Benz themselves aren't um, into producing and, and there's nothing wrong with those components and fitting them to your
0: car but it's just a case of what's the right calibre of component for your car then it gets like you know how nerdy how nerdy do you want to go how deep but then if, if presuming people are like yeah but it's original and then you come out and go Ah, uh, yes, but we have three different original ones yeah. made at different times, and they're all different. You know? right. oh. there, there's a whole level of nerdiness that, um, yeah. And then it doesn't come to like, certain components. People don't just go, you know what, we can't get any brake boosters or whatever. We just swap it out for a modern-esque yeah. or more modern part. Yeah. Is that okay?
2: Yeah, and that, that's that's going to be a tricky one. So you know, brake booster. I mean, how on earth do you have anything other than the exact same specification that was designed for yeah. the car? So that, that has got to be a rebuild by a professional brake rebuilding firm. You know, um, there are you know there are companies that are remanufacturing some of the service components. You know, different brake discs and, and you know those kind of things. And, and you know, some of the some of the engine electrics are fine to have. You know, rebuilt by a, a, a remanufacturer, but there are certain components that have just got to be original or got to be re- refurbished.
0: Yeah. And then does that make? There presumably there's like time periods where it's actually quite cheap to restore or affordable was probably a better word to restore and replace a bunch of parts in a car. But as time goes on, you just can't get parts, yep. or even if you could get parts, they're old and they don't work very well. Yep. So you have to send them to a bespoke person to yep. do it, yep. and therefore like where are we at now in terms of financially is it what's worth doing versus presumably there's a certain year where it's like yeah if you really want it you do it but it doesn't necessarily make any sense you you know double the value of the car on the restoration or whatever where are we at in that timeline oh that's interesting because you've got those three models so you've got
2: you know pagodas the the, you know the, the 60s cars the pretty ones um, those are absolutely worth doing. They are ferociously expensive to restore both in yeah. terms of labour hours and those parts costs, as you, as you highlight, but it's worth it. And it's interesting, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of talk at the moment about classic car values, where they're at, are yeah. they at the right value, and people go back a number of years to when classic cars crashed in the sort of early 90s. I think what was happening then was the value of cars like Pagodas was heavily inflated and bore no relationship at all to the cost of restoration, Now, when you look at a pagoda that is anywhere from sort of 200, 250,000 upwards for a beautifully restored, correct pagoda, that might feel expensive... But it's going to cost you two hundred thousand to restore one, yeah, because of the labour that's needed, the specialism and yeah. the parts. So there's a there's a direct correlation with there. With one o seven SL, that's interesting. Some people are restoring those, and if you've got a, a pretty good car to start with, you can still financially justify a, yeah. a, a light restoration on a one o seven SL if it's if it's completely rusted through absolutely not it doesn't make any financial sense whatsoever to restore one of those unless of course the car's got an emotional pull or you know it still doesn't make
0: any financial sense it's just you've made the call
2: exactly and if you've got the money to do it and it was your mum's car from you or your auntie's car or your granny's car or whatever else then you'll do that but it doesn't make any, sen- any financial sense to restore a 107, certainly to you know, the level that you could go and buy one. When yeah. you can buy a, a very nice one for 50, 60, 70,000 pounds, you can buy a lovely 107 SL. Yeah. Um, it's going to cost you that or, and more to restore a bad one. Yeah, yeah uh, and, with the, and then with the 129s, they don't rust as much. So rust isn't the issue and labour hours isn't the issue on a, on a 129. But cosmetically, they are hard to, it's hard to make a tired. 129 cosmetically nice again. So if right, you okay. take a 129 that's done sub 30,000 miles and has been nicely looked after, kept in a garage, driven by somebody that that is normal weight and height and yeah. that hasn't been abused. It's a lovely interior to be sat in. If you get one that's done 80, 90, 100,000 miles, has been through a few owners and not been treated correctly in its life it's very hard to pull that car back and make it make it as nice as a
0: a crisp Um, low mileage car what are the main like what are the difficult things to sort of bring back as such everything from headlinings to
2: door cards to seat you know we can yes we can you know we can replace and recover and retrim all of those components but they're never quite the same as a car is never quite the same as when it yeah. left the factory, uh, and not to the trained eye, it certainly isn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Um,
2: And you can get away with a bit more of that with the 50s and 60s cars, um, but it's harder with the 90s cars because there's less tolerance in in the materials, in the mm. interior and the gaps and everything else. There's a, there's a bit more forgiveness in those 50s and 60s cars.
0: Yeah, because that's an interesting... I've heard uh, some other people talk about this at one point in time, and it's like the difference between a zero mileage let's say 70s car or whatever yeah whatever brand uh-huh. and a one that's done 80,000 miles but has just had a full nut and bolt restoration they're not the same no and
2: they're only new ones i think is the line that's it, it yeah.
0: yeah and unless you literally replace the entire car yeah. you just build a new car yeah.
2: but even when you do that it's it's not the same it's not the same no, as when not the LF same factory. as it would be no
0: and you wouldn't get I, th- I, I guess with a lot of these things, it's you buy an older car for whatever reason. But I think a lot of people buy it to step back in time into that era when that car yeah. was made. Yeah. So actually, you want to experience it as it was yeah, yeah. then. Yeah. And then some of my myself, myself was like, yeah, but the brakes don't work, so can we like make it stop better and then, and, then, <laughs> and then you're like where did we go don't get me wrong it takes it takes an experienced
2: uh or a trained eye or whatever it might be you've got to really really know the model and and understand the difference between driving one that's been fully restored and, and one that's completely original and they're subtle differences they're really subtle differences but there are differences yeah um
0: yeah yeah okay and then ultimately depending on how the values Shift yeah. on a zero a zero mileage car needs a lot of money spending on it yeah. if you want to drive it. Yeah. Then there's like there's that bit where it's been driven a little bit, but can hopefully consistently yeah. winner. Yeah. And then there's the one that's done two hundred thousand miles and yeah, yeah, yeah. everything's completely destroyed.
2: Yeah. Well, it's interesting with one hundred and seven. So we've got you know that huge age range of when they were manufactured and and lots of cars that that pass through our doors. Interestingly, with those because they were so well made, if you get one of those that has been properly and correctly serviced, hmm. properly stored, properly looked after, you can drive one of those with seventy or eighty thousand miles that drives exactly the same as the one with five thousand miles, right. as long as it's been properly looked after. But of course, what happened was these cars—they, you know—they sort of dipped, didn't they, in terms of their interest yeah. and their value? They fell into the wrong hands. They weren't necessarily always properly maintained, yeah. and because they are so robust they can withstand abuse. So one of these cars can withstand many, many years without servicing and and soldier on. Bushes, you know, engine bushes, engine mounting, subframe bushes on the front. You know, we get customers come up here and we'll sort of say, well, you might want to think about those subframe bushes and engine mounts. Oh, it's fine. The car drives fine. Well, go and try that one. Go and drive that one yeah, that's just yeah. had new subframe bushes and tell me the difference. And they come back and they say, don't care what it costs, <laughs> just do it. Because, of course, they've got no reference point, have they? Yeah, they just think this car drives quite nicely. They don't realise that with, with knackered subframe mounts, the car, <laughs> you know, it just doesn't yeah. go
0: over bumps nicely at all. Do you think that's one of the... Uh, there must be an advantage in selling but also just an advantage of like a site like you've got now with the variety of cars you've got on site is someone can come in and you can go well you can go and drive a pretty much identical car to yours but in a better or worse or whatever condition drive around the block and they can go oh okay oh i didn't realize that like mine was awful or actually no mine's quite good like The most rewarding thing, the most rewarding trick, and it takes about 10 quid
2: and five minutes, is on the 280 SLs. That's a straight six twin cams, the same engine they used in the 123 and those taxis all those years, and hugely, hugely popular engine. And the, the throttle linkage has got a plastic, a white plastic bush. And what happens is that bush wears out and eventually drops out. So everybody knows that these old these old Mercs have got quite a lot of travel on the throttle. You know, you don't expect to have amazing throttle response on an old Merc. You just don't. But when this bush wears and when it drops out, there's almost nothing at all for ages. So the pedal goes down and down and down and down, and then all of a sudden the engine decides to come into life. So somebody will come up there. We'll open the bonnet. We'll we'll look at this bush. We'll change it for them and say, go and drive that now. And it's as if they've got an <laughs> twice the horsepower. It's just oh my word! So yeah, yeah and I imagine that works
0: in both directions yes, as well. Like when you yeah, lift yeah, off, yeah, it's yeah. like mm, it's a bit lazy. to Yeah, sort of yeah, yeah. There's no engine
2: braking, and yeah. So that is that's a, that's quite a, um, a fun trick.
0: Are there any other sort of sim- super simple? Great things for any of the particular generations. There's
2: loads, we could be here all day. There's, lot, yeah, there's, yeah. There's, lots of, there's lots of kind of stuff like that. In particular, with pagodas, for example, they've got a complex um, throttle linkage, and that's connected, of course, to the, the uh, ignition system, the injection system, and also how the car changes gear. So, again, yeah. same thing. Somebody will come in, in a pagoda that they've only ever owned one or they've owned it for many years yeah. and they think it drives great, and we'll sort of, you know, one of the techs will take a test drive and go, doesn't change gear in where where it should and how it should. Customer's customer's always fine. It it drives fine. Again, we'll do the same. Try this. We'll change the the setup. We'll change the linkage. Oh, my word. You know, the car drives beautifully. It changes gear beautifully. It's exactly as it should. It's more responsive. It's faster. It's more enjoyable to drive.
0: Yeah, so there's there's each of the cars have got its own. It is really difficult, that one. And, And as someone that gets to drive a bunch of different cars every now and then, generally newer stuff, if it's new or just being built or something, I'm like, well, this is how it sort of should yeah, be. Yeah, yeah. But I've driven a few things recently that it's like, go drive this car, and they've been reasonably low mileage, but older. And actually looking back at it, I'm like, well, I have no idea whether that's a good version of that car yeah, yeah, yeah. or a bad version of that car, yeah. or it's been sat in a shed for 10 years. Yeah. And like, the experience I'm getting on that day is it represent I've no idea. Yeah. Is it representative at all yeah. of what it should drive like? And that is really tricky, even just simple things like whether it's alignment and yeah. all the brakes bled properly and stuff like that and yeah. the difference a nice alignment not a nice alignment a correct, correct alignment yeah. makes on a car. Yeah, the wheels just pointing in the right They're direction. The right direction. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Like that's really quite relaxing. Yeah. As soon as you're fighting it all the time. Yeah, yeah. It's like a complete yeah. complete game changer. Yeah with what's your favourite do you have a favourite kind of one of the the area that you sort of sell
2: that's a tricky question um, because there is always an example or always a vehicle that passes through here that I fall in love with almost on a weekly basis so and each of the three sort of models that we tend to specialise in has got its, in its own place pagodas are beautiful and they're, they're just you know a lovely place to be sat on the right day with that nice white steering wheel yeah. and looking down the bonnet of those old clocks in front of you absolutely fantastic but a 107 of course is just that bit more practical you can cruise at a higher speed you know it's the, the gearing's a little bit nicer for longer distance cruising a little bit more comfortable a few more creature comforts um, and you know still admired still still a great car to be sat sat behind just a little bit more practical to use every day and then you get in a 129 and you think blimey in its day you drive a 500 and early 500 300 horsepower torquey engine um just feels like the the perfect car for its era um and you know you can get seduced into owning one of
0: those as well so yeah Yeah, i find it it, i look at certain eras And the thing that always sort of throws me is, because let's say with the early SOS, what was it, R107, Mm -hmm. it's quite a classic shape. But then you start to look at the interior and you're like, no, that's very of the time and it's not like a classic interior. Whereas if you go back to, you know, 50s, 60s or whatever, they have all these like nice wooden dashes, big cages and stuff. As soon as things get in that 70s, 80s, 90s period, my brain goes like, well, that's not classic yeah Guys now 50 years ago but it is that different look yeah, yeah, yeah. and I, I think I'm presumably over time my perception of that will change but it is interesting to me that how like your, my brain just goes oh yeah but that's like a 70s car yeah. not a classic car yeah, 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 yeah. even though it is yeah.
2: And and then yeah, where's it going to? We you know what, what will be a classic going forward. You know, yeah. is one two nine really a classic? Is it the last of the classics? When you go to the R two thirty, the the next shape, you think of all of those models that are around the early fifty five AMG. Is that like to become a classic? Possibly, they did that F one yeah. version with some slightly different winglets on the on the front bumper, and I think a few more horsepower from memory. That could be an interesting car to keep as part of a collection are they classics or not
0: who knows or did they make too many of them and then there's just a bazillion around yeah that's the trouble yeah yeah but then it's also like i i I haven't followed sort of mercedes as a brand for long enough but over time yeah there's certain models that now people look at and go yeah you know whether it's pagodas 300 sl whatever all that sort of stuff it's a generational thing as well, isn't it? So if you think about
2: it, so I'm I'm 50 next year. Yeah, I remember walking to school, looking at E30 BMWs, 964 yeah. Porsches, 107 SLs. You know, those were my dreamy aspirational yeah. poster car. Kind of, well, other than F40 and those kind yeah. of things. You know, they, those were the sort of aspirational cars at the time. So as somebody like me, who's middle aged, maybe gets to. Have the space or the funds to buy a third car or a toy car? What do we do? We go to that nostalgia era, don't yeah. we? Perhaps the you know folks who are in their sixties and seventies they go back to the sort of cars, the post-war cars of forties, fifties yeah. cars. What's what's next? You know, because are are the generation after me going to look to nineties and naughties cars and think they're mm-hmm. classics? But will that be more Jap stuff? Because you
0: yeah. know, the, because I guess we're, we're doing computer games and and the sort of. PlayStation cars, yeah. in inverted commas, whether it's you know skylines and all this sort of stuff are already yeah, going yeah, yeah, yeah. boom, 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 boom. Yeah. And I, I find it really difficult looking at the cars because if I just get went right, just ignore everything I've accumulated over the last whatever fifteen years of being in this space and go, what would you go? That is a significant car to me. Whatever that is, probably it's going to be worth something yeah. in like, let's say, plus 10 years. Because yeah. all the people around me, yeah. even the, the real extreme car nuts, yes, okay. But there's not too many really super hardcore, nerdy, yeah. extreme. No. It's gotta be, you've got to find exactly the right car yeah. for that sort of stuff. But what's the general vibe? You know, what are people wanting to buy? Yeah. And then... Where we'll be able to drive these things. I think we'll be able to drive. I think so
2: too, for a yeah, while. Yeah, but I think it's it's the size of the population that's going to be interested in it. So my, my youngest has just started university, and we had mm-hmm. a bit of a summer party with him and his pals came around and we started talking about cars. Yeah. Now I know that that a number of years ago, lads talking about cars would be interested in who'd got what, who was souping up what, who's putting yeah. horsepower in what, you know, who put a spoiler kit on and big stereo and all that sort of stuff. I would say less than a quarter, about 20 lads there, and less than a quarter of them were really interested in cars. Then there was a the few folks in the middle that sort of liked yeah. supercars and, and those yeah. kind of things, and then there were some some, other, some of the other sort of part of that population at the time. Where I was just I'm only talking twenty lads. Yeah, yeah, yeah. didn't give a shit. They just felt like, and um, some of them weren't even bothered taking their test. They were yeah. just they were just cars were just a means to get yeah. or are a means just to get where they need to be. But there's other ways of doing that. So we've we've got this sort of taper effect, haven't we, of people that are interested in cars. I think. Yeah, I think so. Um, and you know what does that mean to where where a classic car ends it could be that cars those these Jap cars that we were just yeah. talking about that could be the last really of classic cars because the rest of them are either going to be recycled or nobody's going to be interested
0: yeah but then you look at like I love the era of sort of yeah 2000s to about 2014 maybe I really like there's a lot of cars in that era that I really like because it was sort of whether it was could be race cars that were racing at the time, yeah, yeah, yeah. things I played in video games, yeah. supercars that I sort of looked at yeah. that came out. And then there's now there's things that have come out whilst I've been in the space yeah. that I go, yeah, but that was really cool. Yeah. But loads of those cars have already done a big yes. jump. Yeah. So it's not like... There's any bargains around anywhere,
2: and you are you are a petrol head.
0: Yeah, you know, but I think you know
2: the people the people that own these cars, the people that own these SLs, and the people we get through here, they're interested in cars, but they're not necessarily pure petrol heads. Do you know what I mean? They they, they remember them and, and the and the vehicles are used yeah. either for either or bought because of nostalgia or they used for Sunday trips or tours yeah, or, and they want or whatever else. A nice car that brings back some yeah. memories or, yeah. or whatever. What you're talking about there is your specific interest and knowledge in a certain car yeah. that was produced for a certain
0: reason. Yeah. Which is so far down the rabbit hole. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I do, do find it funny. If I go to like a House party or whatever, something, and meet some other people, and you're like, someone's. One invariably goes like, "Yeah, Sam's into cars," and then you talk to people, and like, I kind of just try and get it, get it out early. Like, are you into cars? And they're like, "Yeah, yeah, I like cars." And you're like, "Okay, like, let's gauge gauge where on the yeah. on the spectrum the we same. are." I do the
2: same. It's yeah. like yeah.
0: I don't want to come in and be like with some super niche random yeah, stuff. Yeah, and you yeah, yeah. go, "Well, this is pretty weird." <laughs> do you like Porsches? Yeah. And they're like uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I just bought a insert some model code. Like, oh, okay, okay, yeah. okay. Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll, I'll pitch it at that level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it is, it is a, a declining thing. And because yeah. I'm in the space all the time, it's very easy to assume that everyone cares, yeah. uh, it, like, at all. And then it's quite, it is quite almost worrying and refreshing when you go out into a yeah. general mix of population. And yeah. No one could care less. They yeah. just don't care at all they're like I have a car okay that's interesting (laughs) I've got got a story of a customer who's got a
2: big collection of cars and his daughter was going to prom a few months ago and what car does she want to go to prom in? bear in mind this guy's got over 20 cars and some really nice stuff a Tesla she wanted to turn up at a prom in the Tesla
0: that is interesting that's where we are it is where we are and then that, I mean, that, that factor for younger people, yeah. climate and whatnot and all yeah, that sort of yeah, stuff, yeah, like yeah. it's, it's going to be more important for them than it is for us yeah. and then for the people before us. And if you're like 90 now, actually lots of people will look at those grandchildren and go, well, I want them to have a nice life. But lots of people also apparently in Texas don't give a shit.
1: Conditions apply. See site for details.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Did you say that you've done a bit of racing? Yeah a, little bit, yeah, a little bit of club racing. What, yeah. have, you, what have you dabbled in? Mazdas.
2: So um, always been a, I've always been um, an early MX-5 fan. Yeah. I had, had a few of them You know, when I was starting all of this, dabbling yeah. around. I just think they're amazing cars. And um, it's pretty much the most affordable way to go circuit racing. So yeah, I did the old Palmer Sport day for my yes. f- for my 40th nice. and enjoyed that. I did a couple of track days in some old Beamers that I had over the years and had some coaching and tuition and stuff like that. And then thought, OK, let's, let's go for it. So so, got the Mark One Mazda, and my son at the time had just turned 16, so he got one as well. So we kind of nice. went racing together. So it was just a boys boys weekend together which is great fun because as you know because I know you've done a little bit of racing it's as much about probably the weekend actually as it is about what you do on the track because it's a bloody frustrating sport and it's it's an easy way to burn cash as well at the same time isn't it so started with the Mark 1s had some fun in those and then that was with the BRSCC that's the club Mm -hmm. and then went into the Mark 3s um, which is a um, different driving experience again had some great fun with those and then uh, a couple of years ago I think just sort of pre-pandemic tried um, Caterham as well So I jumped into the Caterham, jumped into a three ten R, and had a a few rounds in that. Had some fun in that. Crashed
0: that and made a mess of that at Croft. (laughs) So trying too hard. (laughs) Um, Was that? I've I've driven. I've not raced Caterham, but I've I've driven some Caterhams and whatnot. And I've yeah did a little bit of racing in a Mark One MX Five. Which the Mark One MX Five, I just found slightly frustrating. Not I think dropping in to like a slightly random team. And for me, I didn't know whether my car was like half decent. Yeah. And it seems like in that space, like one horsepower is the difference between yes. yeah, yeah, good and yeah. rubbish. Yeah. And just being like, no, I think I got a really good exit onto this straight. Yeah. And the guy in front got a really bad one yeah. and they're just pulling away. And you're like, no. Yeah. Yeah. So we did a few races and then it's was like, we, the guys I was doing with, they were like, either we're buying a car or we're approaching this in a different way, because yeah.
2: you never know, do
0: you? You don't want to get, like, the racing is so close yes. that I remember seeing one of the, he was, was the guy that was sort of owning owned the team that we were getting a car from. He was racing in Mark 3s, and he came back in and was like, new engine, just like, swap this engine, this engine. Brian Chandler, He was like, whatever, a tenth off the pace he wanted yeah. to be, and he was like, just swap it out, yeah. put a different one in. Because, yeah. like, it's that close, isn't yeah,
2: it? It is that close, yeah. yeah. I think I told you just before we started the chat that I, the last time I raced at Brands in, in the Mark Three, I was six-tenths off pole in Quali and put me 18th on the grid, which <laughs> is a little bit soul-destroying. You know, you think you're a handy driver. Yeah. You're only six-tenths off the fastest bloke in the country and you're 18th on the grid. So yeah. Yeah.
0: And lots of people do it yeah. for season upon season oh, upon yeah, yeah. season upon season. Yeah, 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 so yeah, yeah. I, I think I Slightly naively came in and thought, you know, we'd be all right at this, and then you realise you're like, no, doing all right is is somewhere near the back.
2: Well, it was was interesting when I went into the cateroms because everybody sort of turns their nose up at Mazda drivers. What do they know? And they're slow and whatever else. But of course, I was used to. carrying corner speed yeah. and going into a corner three abreast that was, yeah. that was fine for me so of course I joined as this this oik from the Mazdas <laughs> uh, and you know did, did reasonably well didn't do that well actually but um, could have if I'd put a bit more time into it but that's uh,
0: racing driver excuses isn't it? yeah yeah well, I mean you've got to get them out there yeah. then you get yeah. them out early yeah. no I think I've, I've had some funny experiences on whether it's like test days and stuff of meeting different people driving yeah. different cars yeah. and one guy um, and lots. there is a lot of, like, I think if you're fresh and you've just come in, yeah. whatever level you've picked, yeah, yeah, yeah. you always look down at the people below you. Not necessarily, <laughs> but like some, I think people sort of go, well, no, the people that drive that car must be rubbish because yeah. it's not as fast as my car. Yeah. Um, yeah. And chatting to yeah, very people. Yeah. I was chatting to someone in a Ferrari challenge. He just bought, like, a 488 challenge. And I was like, oh, so I was there. i got a rat. Actually, no, I think at the time I was in a C1. Um, yeah and we were banging around. And then I think we... I'm pretty sure at one point I overtook someone in, like... I think it was a challenge car. <laughs> you are
3: know,
0: like, how? How? I've got, like, 67 horsepower. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then, but then you, you're just, like, well, like flat, flat out, pair, flat out, yeah. never lift. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, like, lift a little bit and yeah. just, you know... That's great. The that's door quite, I, I
2: know exactly what you're saying there. The amount of track days... We've done, like, just sort of testing the car a little bit in yeah. the Mazdas. And, and obviously, we're doing reasonable lap times in them. Not that you time on a track day, of course, but we'd, we've got a reasonable pace on. We've
0: yeah. got timing on the
2: car. No, <laughs> clearly not. But you've got a reasonable pace on, and yeah. then there's, the, you know, Ferraris there, and AMGs there, and this, that, and the other. And uh, sort of looking at this little four-cylinder fart box, and it's, it's kind of doing, them, doing yeah. them through every corner. And then also,
0: I mean, a huge part of it, and one, one it's obviously experience in driving the cars or whatever, but it's like... Level of commitment. Yeah. If you're in, one, a race car, yeah. full stop, yeah. doesn't matter what the race car is, yeah, yeah, yeah. you're committed. You're so, I'm so much more committed and I know it can go in the gravel. Yeah. I don't want to put it in the gravel yeah, yeah, yeah. but like, if it goes in the gravel, it's not going to die. Yeah. You just put a bit of tape, whatever, it'll yeah. go back together. Yeah. But you put your shiny new supercar in the gravel, Like, that's a really, really bad day. Yeah. And the difference between, like you talking about being, whatever it was, like 0.6 off, that is, Nothing on a track, yeah. like yeah, absolutely exactly. nothing. It's yeah. is less probably most tracks. It's less than a tenth a corner. Yes. And when you look at it like that, yeah, yeah. you're like, oh okay, that's yeah. that's a tiny, tiny, tiny amount. And then someone thinks they're going fast, and then you put a pro in or something, and they're like, yeah. oh no, they're like ten seconds a lap faster. Like, yeah. Oh, oh okay, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh like the differential yeah. between someone who knows what they're doing even in the same car I think most people have this perception if you've not done any track driving you're like yeah I mean I should be able to get within a couple of seconds yeah. and then it's like 15 seconds yeah. or something or 20 yeah. I think yeah. my first race in a Radical I think I was like 15 seconds <laughs> like 10 10 plus or something yeah. off yeah. 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 the pace you're like I don't understand yeah. Yeah. like yeah. that when you go past someone doing that sort of lap time it's, like, it's almost like they're going backwards yeah like, but then it's like any other sport, isn't it? So you can probably quickly find
2: most of that time 100%. and then finding that last little bit, oh, so frustrating. And that's probably like golf. I don't play golf, but I imagine it's the same with whatever yeah. whatever kind of
0: sport you're into. Finding that last little bit is just so frustrating. And it is, it is quite a good sport that you can come in at pretty much whatever age, unless you're like you yeah. know, blind or something. Yeah. And then even then some people do drive blind, idea, yeah, yeah. Um, but you can gain sh- a huge percentage of like the time yeah. in not that long yeah. if you've got, well, one, if you commit the money, but the yeah. time yeah, yeah. into driving, yeah. and you can get within, let's say, that second yeah. in, in something like a Mazda, yeah. probably not in an LMP1 car. Yeah. Um, whereas if I went to a track and started sprinting, <laughs> yeah. so it's just yeah. it's just not Good point. Yeah. not happening at yeah. all, is it? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. You, you guys got a, you've got a track prep. Yeah. SL. Yeah. 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 You've just looked at it out the window there. Yeah. You do. Uh, do you, is that sort of fun for the team? And yeah, exactly. So it's it's stuff?
2: a we We're going to put it in the HSCC. So it's a seventy-eight four-fifty right uh, manual. Um, so we've we've raced it a couple of times in a couple of series we've raced at Anglesey we've raced at Donington and had some great fun in it Um, but it's 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 not something necessarily that that I've been too involved with A because I haven't had the time and and you know as you say it's been really a promotional vehicle that the the boys have fun we we take the lads on a track day the techs Mm go on a track day and have a bit of fun and see if they can see if they can sort of get a squeeze a bit more out of the performance of the car. We really need to put the car on a diet if we're going to win anything <laughs> in, in its class because it's got the horsepower and it's got the reliability, yeah. but we need to chop some weight out of it where we can. And then I think the HSCC get a little bit funny about what we can and can't modify. And what sort of things did that race against? Uh, probably things like 911s, 924s, Capris, um... Caprice, um yeah, those, those kind of, um, sort of, well, there was some quite good saloon cars in the day, wasn't yeah. there? And Dolomite Sprints, I think, are pretty handy at that sort of mm-hmm. era. Um, TVRs, um, Lotus, you know, Lotus Elans yeah. and stuff like that. And was the SL pretty handy back in the day? No. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> it's so soft. It's like a barge. It just, you know, you can literally put the kettle on down the down the straights. It's just <laughs> lovely. But it's it's forgiving as well. You know, it's really forgiving. Yeah. So you can you can hustle it through the bends and across the curbs beautifully and yeah, ride right to those curbs
0: like yeah. nothing. Exactly. Else. Yeah. Some of the
2: more delicate cars are sort of bouncing them on two wheels, and that just, you know, boom, boom straight over there.
0: Yeah, and I guess ultimately, you know, it's it's about having fun. Yeah, exactly. Then, yeah, yeah. You know, you're racing. You're not, you're not exactly getting a massive paycheck at the yeah, end of the paycheck, race yeah, it's just yeah, yeah. did you enjoy it yeah. and probably good for you guys to have an sl and yeah. a bit of, bit of racing and whatnot and what it does it helps us develop the road car stuff
2: that we do right. so we do a lot of this um we call it our sport line so mm-hmm. what we've been doing there is we've been looking at different ways of developing the suspension from just taking out some of the body roll that these cars have got through to making them you know drive a lot more like a modern car in terms yeah. of, the, of the way that the you know the the car handles. In addition, we've been sort of doing some manual gearbox conversions. I think I mentioned that earlier, and upgrading the engines as well. In terms of you know some of the old-fashioned ways of tuning an old engine, as well as changing them to throttle bodies and electronic ignition and those kind of things. So we've we've got a range of aspects for a, a growing niche of customers. You know we talked about who's into them nowadays. We've got quite a few customers that don't always want them exactly as they left the factory. They want them just to drive and handle a little bit a little bit more. Um, with a modern sort of feel, yeah. really. Um, I guess if I use the word resto mod, that would be cheap and ex- exaggerating. Right. But I think we down that. We down that. You yeah. know, we, we've certainly you know put a lot of effort into our sort of premium resto mod ourselves. But really, uh, the opportunities for our customers to say, well, I want it to look the same, or I want it to look different, I want it to handle pretty much the same, I just want it to take some roll out of it, or yeah. I, I really want it to be on point. You know, when I'm doing my dash across Wales, or you know, the yeah. Black Forest, or wherever it is, there might be.
0: Do you notice a difference in the customers for the different sort of spectrum of that? Like, whether it's like an age type of person, or is it all just massively varies? It
2: varies. I mean, yes, there is obviously the the, te- the younger the younger of our client base mm. tends to be more into this kind of stuff and more into one two nine and, and, and those yeah. kind of things. But I think it just depends on the reason why the person owns the car more than anything, and yeah. they'll usually own a number of cars, you know. Um, somebody that has one of these, say, 107s and then decides to do some sport line upgrades on it, it probably won't be their only car. They'll probably yeah. have a number of other cars as well. And, um, that, again, that's the way of the world now, isn't it, with, with folks and what they, what they have in their garages.
0: Yeah, and I think my, my journey's sort of been modern cars and then it's split into slightly older and then in that older car experience, I kind of wanted not a mo- modern car experience in an older car, but kind of, you know, I didn't yeah. want yeah. to just buy something from the 70s and it tr- to be mechanically identical yeah. to something from the 70s. So I've got a rest modded SC. Yeah. Um, but now I'm, st- I think I'm, you know, a bit further down the rabbit hole. And I'm like, actually, I'd quite like something from the 60s. Yeah. And I would be reasonably happy if it drove exactly yeah. like it did or very similar. yeah. yeah for me things have always got to work though like what, I remember talking to someone who was doing Jags and they're like yeah some people get really funny about let's say it was like a fuel pump or something and they're like they want the original and you're like yeah and it just doesn't work yeah exactly yeah, yeah, or yeah, yeah, like yeah. the injection or something just yeah. like didn't work like it's yeah. going to leave you yeah. on the side of a motorway especially yeah. if you don't drive it all day yeah. Yeah. Um, and then yeah I think that's, that's an interesting split of do you actually drive it
2: yes yeah. And that's the first question we'll ask a new customer, whether they're looking to buy a car from us or bring their car to us for any work at all, really. We'll sort of have that consultation with them to say, right, how long have you owned it? How have you used it? And how do you plan on using it? What's important to you um, so that we can you know, really help them, in, particularly in terms of service or restoration, help them put the right money to yeah. the right place? Because typically what happens, you'll get one of us blokes turns up and says right I need some new chrome I need some new paint I need some I'm in my wheels refurbishing Yeah, and we'll go okay that's fine but how are you going to use it what have you done till now when's the last time you had this done where are you planning to go on it and have you checked that and have you checked that and then yeah. we'll maybe have the chat about the um, subframe bushes or we'll look at the fuel lines and they're corroded or we'll look at the brake lines and they're bulging and we'll yeah. say well That's so fine, you know, we can do all the cosmetic things, of course, but in terms of reliability and in terms of enjoyment of the vehicle, there's some things here you might want to consider as well, and and then that's their choice as to whether they do all of that or some of that.
0: How far they go down. That's something I'm interested in more and more now as some of my cars get a bit older and they start going out of whether it's warranty or whatever. And when they're generally being worked on by a manufacturer, you don't actually necessarily get a long list. I would love for all of my cars, like, For the manufacturer to give me a list of every part on the car and what mileage slash usage it probably should be changed. And then I can look into the future and go, this is what's going to happen. But you do quite an extensive list when a car or or can do comes in of things that might come up, et cetera, don't you?
2: That's right. Yeah, we do a health check. So we do various types of checks from just purely corrosion through to the engine wiring limbs, for example, that I told you about, where the the cables are, are degrading but um, sort of most popular service that we offer is a full day's health check on the car that you know does every aspect of the car it's an eight page report and then we sit down and and give the patient the, the, <laughs> the, news. <laughs> the news. Well, not the patient, but the, the family yeah. member the, the, the news. Um, but that then starts that, that, that journey with the customer. It starts that relationship. They've really got to know their car, and it might be that they've owned it for a number of years and they've just maybe neglected yeah. it. It might be that they've, it's been looked after by the wrong person, or it might be that they've just bought the car. So it's quite fun to be at a classic car auction and see a couple of marks go through, and then usually on the Monday we'll get the call for yeah. the health check. So I just bought this car recently, and I think, yeah, I was in, I was in the hall. Yeah, yeah. I, was in, I watched it go through on the block. Um, and then, you know, if we're lucky, we'll get, we'll get to do the health check on the car, and we yeah. get a new customer that way, so it's great for us.
0: Do you see more issues, this is slightly like, odd topic, but with E10 fuel and...
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think there was. You know, we we did a, We looked into that a lot. We looked into the the caliber of the the quality of the fuel lines and yeah. fuel tanks and everything that were, in the vehicles that we specialize in. And, and we were pretty comfortable and pretty happy that just just putting super putting e five in was yeah. was going to be enough. And. Then you get the section of the community that's saying, well, that's going to cost me more to run, yeah. but how many miles do you actually do? And when you actually put it through a calculator, it might cost you an extra 100 quid a year or whatever to put super in it. I've always put super in my old cars anyway, so yeah. um, didn't really see that as didn't really see it as a biggie.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have a member of the family recently. Her car's, like, died. And I was like, did, did you put E10 in it? She was like, what? I just put the fuel in. Right. There must actually be a, like, a significant portion of the UK now that one has no idea that it's changed and then have just kind of nuked some of their cars. Wrong oils, wrong oils in the uh, over the years contributes to
2: engine, you know, premature engine wear, mm. and in, in particular in pagodas when they start, they, they are very rich when they start when they are on cold start, yeah, S- seriously rich, and they take a, the engine takes a long time to settle down and find its right level of mixture, right, and consequently. If a pagoda has been stop-started a lot over the years, yeah. it will premature, the engine will wear prematurely and, and it will be an expensive um, job to do. And they're, they're particularly susceptible to that, pagodas are.
0: Interesting. Yeah, that's that's something I, I always try and remind myself, especially now that I've got an EV. Again, the EV, you just get like flat. Yeah. doesn't matter. Yeah. Nothing's warming yeah. up. Yeah. 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 You're that's ready true. to go. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just letting things, things be. Um, so I normally wrap these up with five questions which are at the top here do you have a most memorable driving trip or journey uh i've got
2: two um uh, one is with my fairly new partner 2019 we went around italy and um we had a lot of fun in that we went in an amg and um i'm lucky that she's a petrol head and i'm lucky that she doesn't mind speed (laughs) in fact she actually positively likes us to go fast and um i feel a little bit um daft telling you the story but you've you've asked me the question so i'm going to tell you now anyway but we were in the bottom of italy making our way up to turin across Mm. that wine region there across that, that that part of the the world and you probably know Italian road signs are a nightmare. They're small, they're difficult yeah. to read. So you've got the sat-nav telling you to put, kind of go the straight road, the dual carriage, whatever else. I've yeah. got a map and the night before I've tried to work out which way I want to go across the Alps and, and whatever else. And I'm looking at signs and we're, we're a little bit confused and I'm pulled over by the side of the road and a 911 convertible Italian boom, comes past. I'm like, oh, hello. <laughs> <laughs> and so we followed and yeah. caught up and we had about 50 kilometres of an alpine road and we were both of us doing speeds we shouldn't have been doing we were wrong side of the road we were literally as if we were on the racetrack together adrenaline (laughs) like I've (laughs) I've never had on the road and I think it will be a trip I'll I'll never forget, get to the end, T-junction at the end he turns right, thumbs up, thumbs up. <laughs> off we go, great time, sort of thing. So that's one I'll never forget. My, my partner actually put the chair forwards and got her feet, <laughs> her feet braced on the on the on the dashboard. We brake so hard that her glasses fell off into nice. one of the corners. So that was that was um, not. No, I've not told many people that story.
0: It's funny the sort of little relationship. I don't know if that's the quite right word, but you can build with another car, yes, in another place. Yeah, on yeah. the Right word. Yeah, yeah, you have yeah, yeah. like Twenty minutes. And you're like, yeah.
2: It's that there's a body language in the car, yeah. isn't there? Sometimes, and,
0: and yeah, like an acknowledgement that like you're there, I'm there, we're yeah. having fun. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I've got that one, and then
2: um, Scotland, Highlands, um, on my own. Sadly, after I lost my father um, ten years ago, um, had a. Um, little ZM mm-hmm. m M-M coupe at the time yeah and um after the funeral and everything else just went up and just um cleared my head so yeah. i just went up for a week up in the highlands driving that car and my word i i mean there's some amazing roads in the alps you know i'm a motorcyclist as well yeah. so i've spent a lot of time across the french italian alps and switzerland and even Slovenia and places like that so there's some amazing roads but for me the scottish highlands are just it's a cool place sublime yeah. driving over there yeah. up there sorry
0: it is, and there's something about being in the UK. Yeah, that's like for me, it's really kind of chilled. Yeah, yeah, yeah. there's just like yeah. zero stress. Yeah, 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 not quite the same level of zero stress as when you're in Italy and you're just not that bothered about police and yeah, stuff yeah. like that. They don't
2: seem to care do they? I mean,
0: I, the same trip the the, the,
2: the Porsche yeah. trip I was just telling you about, we were on the motorway and following an uh, one of those uh, audi a7s with the big engines and we, we were well over 100 miles an hour for a long stretch of time and we overtook a policeman and i'm i'm on the brakes thinking oh yeah, shit oh, i'm, I'm shit. going to jail um and the had just get going so i thought well if you're going i'm going and the police just didn't seem to be bothered we were doing like 120 or something it's
0: so odd that feeling and it it only happens in certain countries certain times when you're like no i think this is okay like they seem to be fine with this here. Yeah. And like all the and like you're in there's a certain section of motorway, that I think that comes along the coast from Italy down to like Monaco and it's a really fast bit of motorway that goes through some tunnels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And everyone on that road is driving yeah. pretty fast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you're in sports cars, you're always going through the tunnels. Yeah, of course you do. Yeah, you gotta stuff. get the windows down. How I many yeah, yeah, you just exactly. have to, yeah. It's pretty, pretty awesome. If you could only drive one car for the rest of your life, a sports car, what would it be?
2: Oh, that's a great question. You could have given me some advance notice on this, because I've just got about ten cars... Yeah, but that's, that's the whole point. ...flash through my <laughs> my head. Sports car, one car only. <sighs> it's probably a 911. From what 911? 996 GT3. Ooh. Mm. I said didn't I, a while ago, and when we started chatting, for me, that sort of late 90s yeah. was the last of of um, real real analogue driving yeah. cars with no turbocharging, no driver aids. I could probably
0: give you 10 if I'm honest, but uh, that
2: one's come to the surface right uh, now, so nine, we'll go with six. that one.
0: Does that particularly stand out because of where you were in your life when it came out, or this is now, you're looking back and going, I feel like that's quite good. Is I do think right? that's the sweet spot. Yeah, I drove a 996 GT3 for the first time yeah. in America very recently um, and I, I have a 997 and I, I, feel, I definitely feel like actually at the time like now it feels like quite a good it feels like good value yes a 996 GT3 yeah, yeah. they're not insane money no you've still got that engine yeah it's not as fast but yeah you know, you can't go that fast anymore. No, exactly. And that's the
2: thing, isn't it? You know, you and I both drive big horsepower daily cars.
0: Yeah,
3: yeah
2: And you think to yourself, I and mean, for me, the sweet spot is 300 horsepower. I don't think, I don't think on the road, if you know how to pedal, you don't need any more than 300 horsepower. Depends on the weight of the car. Good I point. Good point. That's a very good point, of course. You've got yeah. a catering. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that's that's We only need 150, really, in <laughs> a catering day. Yeah,
0: yeah. I had a really, actually, one of my best drives was in a 310R. Yeah. Road car. Yeah uh in like wet dampy crappy conditions yeah. on some small roads and like that was way more than enough power in just a small thing and well that's what i raced i raced a 310 yeah right? uh, that feels like a really good place yeah. in the in the range yeah. in terms yeah. of you can yeah. put your foot down and
2: yeah. it's about noise as well isn't it is not it? this
0: noise yeah. is so important so i think important. so important to this yeah yeah super key uh, what do you think is the most undervalued car at the moment? What should be worth more?
2: I think um, E46 M3s should be should be more than they are. Yeah. I'm not just saying it because I own one, but I think E39 M5 as well, I think. I just saw Munich Legend sold one for 90. Ooh. Yeah. Super low mileage thing. Um for the, for the Mercs, I think the 107s have still got a way to go because they are so usable. Their, yeah. their appeal is huge. Um, 129s, we talked about the very early 129s, the very first of the line 500s. They've got a different, slightly different look and a
0: right. slightly different feel about them. I think they've got a way to go. When I look at that space, yeah, definitely the 107s. For me, that look, yeah. I really like that look. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah it's an interesting... Right. What's the most interesting car to you at the moment? What are you Googling, looking up? Oh, I can tell you this one straight away. It's the new,
2: C- new C63. Oh, Interesting. Yeah,
0: because I've been drooling
2: over that new M3 touring yeah. since for a couple of years as they've yeah, been yeah, yeah, yeah. doing the teaser shots, and I've just thought, you know, I'm, I'm, I like my old BMWs, and it's yeah. got the big arches, and I'm thinking, oh, that would be an interesting I mean, yeah. car, yeah, and I like a wagon, of course. And then that C63's come on the scene, hasn't it, with like a gazillion horsepower and the electric motor and this that, and the other, and I'm thinking, I can't work out whether I absolutely hate the idea of it, or I just think it is just so complex and and fascinating what what they've seemed to have done with this four-cylinder near 500 horsepower engine and then like another couple hundred horsepower horsepower or something yeah with the electric motor i I cannot wait to um to sort of listen or look at the road tests and whatever else on those and might even know when i don't know but um
0: i that's it It's, it's a really interesting split because i think that engine is quite interesting yeah and I think when they put that engine in like a Lotus Amira, yeah, yeah. it will be really quite something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But for, for me, a C63, and maybe this immediately just becomes like I'm now an older person. For me, a C63 has got to have a big yeah. V8 in it. Yeah. And like, if you put a highly strong four-cylinder in my E-Class, that to me, I don't know until you, don't know until you drive it, yeah, yeah. but it wouldn't, I don't think it would feel like the right engine for the car. Like at the same time, if that car had like a, I don't know, some sort of Super Revy GT3-esque engine in it, it's not the, It's not the engine for the car. It needs to have lots of torque and kind of yeah. bubble along. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if a lot of the buyers buy them because they want the big V8. Yeah. Or they buy them because it's the 63 and it's the top one. Yeah. It'd be interesting to see how it... Well, that's the point. You
2: said, what's the most interesting car? I, I'm with you. you know, I'm a petrolhead and I love eight cylinders and, you know, yeah. or multi-cylinder cars. But it's fascinating. It's fascinating to see how that car is going to drive and how that technology is yeah. going to integrate and what feeling... Yeah,
0: it's over two tonnes, isn't it? Is like 2.2. 2.3 2. Oh, or is it 2.3, yeah. yeah. I think it's, it's either three or 400 kilos. I think it might be 300 kilos, heavier than
2: the old one. My son was telling me that it's got um, some feature on the head-up display that when you go a track, it will give you the... Oh, right, um, it'll give you a the, sort of... The line, to, it'll give you um, um, a ghost, a a ghost line, car, yeah. is it? A ghost car in front of you to
0: follow. Nice. That's cool, isn't it? That is <laughs> fun. That is cool, yeah. I like that sort of stuff. Like, yeah. I, I do like tech yeah, yeah. and like interesting ways of... Um, and then he took the minutes. piss out and he said
2: you still wouldn't be able to hit an apex dad so, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah I'm, I'll put
0: his rent up yeah 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 exactly <laughs> and you won't if you can't afford to go on a track yeah exactly yeah. Um, five car garage unlimited value Goldwing
2: F40 not have thought about this of course yeah I feel like you have thought about this <laughs> Goldwing F40 E-type um, coupe early E-type coupe yeah I want to up to three and that's have any motorbikes in there or not no, it's got to be cars. Right, still
0: with cars. Um, I'd have to have a Pagoda. Right. So you'd have a Pagoda and a goal. I know one's yeah. got a roof yeah, of one, yeah, does yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: um, I you, you know, yeah. I just would. You um, know, I just would. And then I, I'd probably have something interesting 4 by 4 y but I don't know enough about them. But I, I think I'd have to own some Range Rover or a Urus thing. or yeah. Bentley or, or, or one of those I think I'll just you just have to wouldn't you yeah oh hang on a minute can I change my mind can I have a 911 in there somewhere
0: can I have a yeah, singer I'll, I'll, you I'll tell you what I'm going to do I'm
2: going to have a singer forget the 4x4 bollocks to that yeah I'm going
0: to have a singer and which singer oh I just want... want a
2: classic yeah I think so DLS a pro- maybe a DLS but it might be too much for me I, as long as it was exquisite that's it, yeah. I, I don't think I'd care because I think i have just been looking
0: at it, really, more than anything. That's as I love when people have gone into some serious details yeah. on, like, bits of interior and whatever. And you just sit in it and you look around and go, yeah. this is really nice. Yeah. Like, I don't even have to turn it on. It's yeah. just a cool thing yeah. to look at. Yeah. I would love that in my house. Yeah. To have, like you know, one of those glass boxes that you can either look through the floor yeah. or, like, yeah. that sort of thing yeah. would be super cool. Right, well, thanks very much for coming on the podcast. Thank you for coming to see us. Yeah, and no, then I'll probably have a little, little wander around. No, no drums, nice to see
3: you.